the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It is uh, great to be with you. We have some ground to cover today. Uh, The big news is, the big news is, um, that Tucker Carlson has been given access to 41,000 hours, as it's being reported, 41,000, 40 plus thousand hours of the audio, a videotape, a video, um, of January 6th. Kevin McCarthy, the speaker who has promised to, uh, release that, uh, information has given access to Tucker Carlson. Now, I'm going to get to this in a moment, but this we should applaud. I'm going to get to my concerns in a moment. But first, we should applaud this. I can tell you, let me explain something to you. I'm an attorney for three defendants, three January 6th defendants. So I have signed all of the necessary paperwork to represent my clients. And because of the nature of these proceedings, uh, uh, confidentiality agreements that make it so that I cannot share with you or anyone else access to the uh, video that we have access to. But it's only a little bit. It's only, uh, you know, tens, hundreds of hours. It's not the whole of the uh, entirety of the video. And there's lots of video cameras, right? So on the day of January 6th in the Capitol building, there were from, you know, let's say from 1 till 1.15 p.m., there were 100 cameras. So that 15 minutes is 100 times 15 minutes. And some of them are on one hallway and on the other end of the hallway and some are on a cross hallway and some are on the side of the building and some are uh, large, um, um, uh, what do you call it, wide angle lenses and those uh, uh, those kind of fisheye lenses. There's all kinds of things. It's been very, very difficult for the defendants to review the video. And as I've told you before, I don't spend much of my time as an attorney on these cases. I have a co-counsel who's a criminal defense lawyer uh, who is uh, very, very experienced in criminal cases. I am not. And he's the lead guy. He's the guy going through this. He's the guy hiring staff to go through hundreds of hours of video. And the men that are in prison in the jails, they get access to a laptop and go through it themselves. It's a very torturous process. One of the reasons why people like me and others were asking for Kevin McCarthy to make sure that he got this out is, one, we watched the select committee, the unselect committee of Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney, cherry pick video, and we know there's more. So when you allow one side to just cherry pick uh, uh, video, you know, snippets, you know, they're not going to treat you fair, especially when it's Pelosi and the gang. But the second reason is because if you actually put it, we, until, until this, until the last 24 hours, I thought it was 14,000 hours was the total amount. It's over 40,000 hours. And the second reason why it's so important to get this stuff out is so that lots of eyes can get on it. In other words, I, 
it's meant to be uh, something that could be crowd reviewed in my mind. I, you know, crowdsource is the term they call it. But in this case, I would call it, you know, crowd reviewed where people could go on there and take a look and try to figure this out and 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 make a you know, make it since it is such a public spectacle. It has been created it made into a public spectacle, not by me, not by my defendants, not by the, the other lawyers, but by the unselect committee of Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney. They're the ones that made it a public spectacle. Well, Put it out for the public to see, and let's get to the bottom of it. Now, that brings us to the news that Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, has shared, given access to all of the uh, video to Tucker Carlson. And initially, I saw people who were upset about this. They said, that's not fair. You shouldn't just give it to Tucker. The people on the left are actually objecting. They're saying it should be made public, which is fine by me. Here's where I stand. Any opportunity to get the video out of the clutches of Pelosi and the unselect committee and the DOJ is a start. And what I mean by that is I'm bound by an agreement that if I violated the agreement, I could be in real trouble with the court, the federal court as an attorney. I, I can see some of the video, not all of it, but if I went and gave you all the password and access to it, I'd get in big trouble. In fact, I think some of it's a, a felony. Uh, some of the uh, because of the way they positioned the the some of the the uh, video as as national security and all that kind of stuff. So anything that breaks us out of the trap where only DOJ and the prosecutors can see what's going on, where only the intelligence community can vet what we're allowed to see. That's what we've had till now. What we've had till now was the people who wanted us to believe that it was an insurrection. We're in control of what we got to see. Well, what do you think we got to see? What they wanted us to see, which was what they wanted the people to know. I mean, it's the perfect narrative machine playbook. Remember, the narrative machine, as I've told you over and over again, the narrative machine, which is doing such a number on this country, the narrative machine is big government, big media, and big tech. And so you march this out. Big government, in this case, the narrative machine, big government is the Pelosi Select Committee, Pelosi and Liz Cheney and that crew, the big government, and plus DOJ. And all they do is give you what they want you to see. They're not giving you access to everything. They're In fact, they're hiring an ABC TV producer to do the hearings. They, they, they did this in the past. And, and so big government is feeding the narrative machine. Big media... The Washington Post, the New York Times, the cable news networks are following right along. And they're using the language insurrection, armed insurrection, all this kind of stuff. And they're only covering. They're not covering what's missing. They're not covering the dog that didn't bark, as the old uh, at the, as the old uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, the Sherlock Holmes uh, uh, famous, famous story. It's a, they don't cover that. The, the big media. So big, te uh, big, big government feeds. The unselect committee of Pelosi and Liz Cheney feeds to big media, New York Times, Washington Post, all the cable networks, and they cruise along. And then big tech, same deal. Same deal. We don't have to look far. Twitter, we've now seen the Twitter files from Matt Taibbi and others. They were in the tank. And there's no there's no reason to think that uh, Facebook, for example, when Jeff Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg spent half a billion dollars uh, to giving money to, quote, nonprofits to, quote, fortify the election in 2020, no reason to think that Zuckerberg suddenly got conservative. 
The narrative machine is grinding. And what Kevin McCarthy has done is the first step. Again, hear what I'm saying in getting the video out of the clutches of big government and big, uh, a, a big government, in this case, Congress and the DOJ and into the, the hands of others. Now, two things can happen. I don't think that Tucker Carlson's staff goes to jail if they leak the video from Congress. You see, if I leak the video from the, the, the federal courts, I can go to jail for that. But if Tucker Carlson's people leak it, I'm not I'm not saying they should, although if the penalty is not uh, something serious, they probably should. I'd like them to. But my point, you see, we're breaking out of the system. Now, I join liberal pukes, lying liberal pukes like Congressman Jamie Raskin, who says that it's objectionable that only Tucker has access. Everyone should have access. I'm with you, Jamie, you lying, thieving, terrible representative of this country. You're just a you and Schiff and Swalwell. All you do is trot out to you. In this case, I can agree. We should break out of this. Let us, and I, I, I put a letter into the Congress, let us have organizations, 501c3s, colleges, universities, churches, get access to the video and go through the video and see what they can see and get to the bottom of what they could get to the bottom of and use facial recognition to see who's really there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I stand, I started to get critical of McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, yesterday. What you need to know is that if we're going to beat the January 6th hoax, and it is a hoax on this country, and it's a pox on this country, the January 6th hoax is a pox on America. It's a it's a cancer that's meant to divide us. If we're going to bust the hoax, we have to recognize the narrative machine and what it's been doing and how it's been framing the narrative for us. And we have to shatter it. And one of the best, one of the opening salvos, and I'm, I'm, I'm so I, I rise in support of Kevin McCarthy's move. This is the opening salvo. It, it best not be the last because Tucker's going to take a look at the video, he said, and they're going to come back and next week they're going to start reporting on it. So there's a lot to go through. Even even Fox News with lots of staff, there's a lot to go through. But when they're done, they're going to be there. The narrative machine is going to try to discount Tucker as a partisan. They'll do that. What we need to do is the next step is is break out of the narrative even further and, and get the video out to others. And the next step, by the way, is get the video of the bomber. There's the bomber that set, set two pipe bombs at the DNC and the RNC. And the narrative machine, big government, big media, and big tech won't even tell us a, a bit about that. You wonder why. Well, let's get the video. Because so far, they've only, they've only given us images. They haven't given us the video, even though video exists. Video exists. You, you walk around. By the, by, by the way, let me say something. If you walk around Washington, D.C., there's no place in the history of the world that is surveilled as much as D.C., I work up on Capitol Hill. I walk all the time on the streets. And I think to myself, somebody's watching on every corner, every corner, every corner, because it's the nature of this town and it's the nature of the power and the scope of the power that people are here to bribe and spy and cheat. And <laughs> you can get the goods on lots of people pretty quick. So th there's no doubt that the video exists of more unless it's been destroyed by now. And again, that's possible. 
That's possible. That's probable, actually, especially as, as to the uh, as to things like that we don't even know to ask. It's probably already gone. But there you have it. So what you need to know is, hey, good start, Kevin McCarthy. Thank you. Good start, Tucker Carlson. Thank you. But I rise in support of Jamie Raskin and other liberal pukes and say, that's right. You're right. Let's get it out to everybody. And let's all take a look and see what we can find. All right. That's what you need to know. Hey, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We've got a great, great guest. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'm very, very excited for lots of reasons uh, to speak about this next issue. Dr. Dr. Ingrid Scope has joined us. She's the Director of Medical Affairs at the Lozier Institute, which is an institute um, that has does incredible research. Uh, it's uh, affiliated with or part of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America organization. Um, but uh, Dr. Uh, Scop, I was telling you off the air, it's important because this morning, my wife, who happens to be a physician, um, was saying to me, what are you, me, Ed Martin, doing about these abortion pills that are being sent all over the place. She had just received in the mail one of her, uh, you know, one of as an internal medicine doctor, one of the updates or something she got and she was reading and she said, you know, you realize what's going on? And I said, well, I, I do, I do. But I, I said, I'm just going to have to uh, talk to Dr. Ingrid Scott today and figure it out. So welcome to the program first. And my wife said, I have to figure this out and help. So here we are. Uh, but <laughs> tell us Exactly. Uh, CL, CLI, the Charlotte Lozier Institute, filed an amicus brief uh, in one of the cases that is challenging the chemical abortion pill. As a physician, I, 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 you know, how do you square this? Because we're talking about a major this isn't taking a, a blood pressure medicine. I suppose the left argues it is. But you're you're having people do this like at home and, and on their own? And is, how crazy is this? You know, it's really unfortunate and it is such bad medicine. And I think it's just an example of how abortion has been politicized so much. Of course, abortion, although it's performed medically, is not really a medical issue. It's, a, it's, it's trying to address societal, social, financial problems for women in crisis. But um, so it seems to have become exempt from the ordinary standards of medical care. And I think we can see that as we look through how the FDA has bent its own rules time and time again in order to provide these pills in a widespread way to women, even though currently there is very little medical supervision of these pills. Um, we're talking again with Dr. Ingrid Scope, who's a, a, a medical director uh, at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. I might have misstated that title, but that's because I'm looking at your website, uh, lozierinstitute.org. And in the in the argument, in the description of why you filed an amicus brief, um, you, you know, you're talking about the the case, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus the FDA. Um, it's a, a big case that's um, a lot going on. Why is the FDA allowing the uh, the this to happen? There's very few regulations. But early on, first paragraph, major international studies showing that the abortion pill regimen carries four times the risk of complications as surgical abortion. So it's not even, I mean, look, surgical abortion has some complication risk, four times the amount. 
administered at home, right? I mean, the problem here is that everybody used COVID to relax both telemedicine and mailing prescriptions uh, uh, through the mail, particularly on this drug, on the abortion drugs. And they're not going backwards to get tighter again because COVID's gone. They're getting looser. Absolutely. I mean, in in the year 2000, under President Clinton, who really wanted that abortion pill to come to the United States and pressured the French organization that manufactured it to bring it here. um, But they um, they used the FDA used a special category called subpart H, which means it needs to be a drug that is um, uh, benefits a life threatening condition which, of course, pregnancy is not a life threatening condition in almost every case. And it needed to um, um, have no other available alternative. Well, surgical abortion, like you say, I mean, it's it's still a terrible procedure, but its complications are far lower than the chemical abortion pills. And yet, despite that and despite not studying it in a pediatric population, even though many women who receive these pills are less than 18 years old. The FDA approved it. Since that time, under Obama, it loosened it. It said, we no longer want to know about complications unless it kills a woman. Uh, they extended its use to higher gestational ages where it fails more frequently. And then, of course, under um, President Biden, first they took away the in-person restriction requirements, which means a doctor needed to be looking a woman in the eye to ensure that she was the one who wanted the abortion. He needed to do an ultrasound to make sure he knew the gestational age of the fetus, that it wasn't a pregnancy in the fallopian tube, which these pills do not treat ectopic pregnancies. And if this is not ruled out, women can die from ruptured tubes. He needed to do labs. Um, All of those things the FDA took that away using the COVID pandemic as an excuse. And then, of course, just last month, they said it's okay to provide it through a pharmacy, again, without a doctor ever laying a hand on that woman. And we know it even before these um, restrictions were removed, um, again, the international studies tell us that between three and eight percent of women do not evacuate all the tissue from their uterus. They hemorrhage, they have infection from the dead tissue and often need a surgery. Um, so it's going to get even worse because now, of course, there's nobody watching. These women are managing their own abortions at home. Uh, I, um, I, I, the other the other thing my wife was saying to me uh, this morning, and again we're talking with uh, Dr. Ingrid Scop, who is uh, over at the uh, Charlotte Lozier Institute, LozierInstitute.org, um, and in particular uh, that that is um, uh, work of the Susan B. Anthony um, uh, the organizations. They do a ton of different things, but um, you're supposed to have this. You're supposed to take these drugs. In in ten weeks, right? Ten weeks is the limit medically. Ten weeks is the limit, right? Ten weeks it, or less. Yes. Ten weeks or less. And but isn't the sort of, I mean, really high likelihood that when you're self-administering uh, a drugs, like there's not there, there must be a million studies that show self-administering of drugs is um, has this range of error rate. I mean, you know, whether you're talking about a 75 year old taking a new, uh, a drug or a 50 year old taking, uh, you know, uh, a, a heart drug, whatever it would be. And therefore the, the, the fruit of this, you take a drug at 14 weeks is much more dramatic. And the, dr- the drama is health of the mother. The drama is, 
uh, complications. I mean, it gets health of the mother complications, but there's also actually a, um, uh, a, a medical waste problem. I mean, you're, 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 you're doing something just dramatically different than we've, than anybody's talking about, right? Absolutely. And this is one of, I mean, there's so many sad things about this. And, you know, one of course is that we don't even know if the people who are obtaining the pills, if they're the person who wants an abortion, I mean, sex traffickers, incestuous abusers, coercive boyfriends, they can all now get a hold of these pills and give them to women who may not want an abortion. But regarding the tissue, at about eight weeks gestation, as you stated, these pills can be used per the FDA up to 10 weeks, but we know they're often used beyond that if women are um, in error about how far they are in the pregnancy or perhaps just desperate, know how far along they are, but just want to do something to end their pregnancy. But an eight-week fetus is about the size and shape of a gummy bear. He is clearly identifiable as a human being. So not only are we having human products in the toilet and in the plumbing and in our sewage system. But these women are going to be able to look and girls in many cases and see their own child that they chose to abort. And so, you know, years from now, maybe we'll have a grasp on how much this emotionally devastates women. But it is I mean, already women are starting to talk about how unprepared they were for what they experienced, the pain, the torrential bleeding, and then seeing their own child. Um, it's, it's, even as you say, it, it's kind of haunting. And it's one of the problems of these debates is they're really difficult because they, they just are so haunting and they're so terrible in many ways. And so you have to sort of, but you can't be quiet on it. Uh, on it. Um, the amicus brief you filed, um, again, the, the, the Charlotte, uh, Lozier, Inst- Lozier Institute, uh, of, of the Susan B. Anthony pro-life America. Um, what's the timeline on this case? Do you happen to know? I mean, what, what is it? Are we, we're the amicus brief is in now. Um, and this is, this is the, at the district court level. Level, right. So this is or where, where is this? I'm sorry. I, I need to. Right. Where, 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 go ahead. Yeah. So the the amicus, amicus briefs, have, the deadline was last Friday. I believe that a few weeks from now, there is sort of a tentative deadline. Um, obviously, the judge needs to have the opportunity to look at all of the information that he's been given in order to um, make an informed decision. Um, But going back to the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, of course, as its name implies, this is a group, there's actually five or six doctor groups that do not want to take human life. And the reality is, almost despite the fact that many doctors and obstetricians will say they're pro-choice, almost none of them want to take a human life. So very few obstetricians will do abortions. And that's part of the reason these chemical abortions have been promoted so heavily, because of course it puts all the action in the woman's hands. The um, abortion clinics no longer need to even employ a surgeon. Going back to the issue of the complications, it is still the case that the FDA requires a doctor who prescribes this to register to say, I want to be an abortion provider and to say, I will deal with the complications or have an arrangement with someone else. But what happens on the ground really is that because these women are not told there will be complications, they're surprised and frightened when these complications happen. They don't go back to the abortion provider. That's part of the reason that the U.S. abortion complication data is so poor because these abortionists don't even know about the complications. They come to the emergency room where doctors like I will care for them. Um, Usually they need a DNC or called a suction aspiration to remove the tissue. But um, 
Lozier did a study where we look, we did records linkage to determine of known chemical abortions, how many end up in complications. Again, it was about one out of 20 that went to the emergency room, but 60% of the time they were miscoded as being due to a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So the women aren't telling the doctors, the doctors perhaps aren't asking or for other reasons may obscure that it was a chemical abortion. Um, Regarding your wife and the concerns Already, there are papers in internal medicine uh, journals, in uh, family practice, even in pediatric journals telling doctors they need to prescribe these pills to their patients with unwanted pregnancies. Obviously, none of those doctors, except maybe a family practitioner who might have some surgical training, none of them are going to be able to deal with the complications, but they don't care. They know that the complications will fall on an emergency system and that doctors will take care of women because that's what we do. We take care of women in distress, but unfortunately, we're seeing so many more women in distress because of these chemical abortion pills. I'm in Texas. They're all over Texas, even though abortion is totally illegal here. Hmm. Uh, I I buried the lead and I apologize to you. Dr. Ingrid Scop is our guest and she's the director of medical affairs at Lozier Institute, but she's herself is a practicing board certified OBGYN, um, has delivered more than 5,000 babies herself and and has treated, as you mentioned, uh, treated uh, abortion pill related complications. So she's at this as a practitioner as much as uh, an interested uh, party. By the way, the, the, um, the, um, brief is only 57 pages. I was, I found my notes on it. It's really, it's actually for these amicus briefs. It's pretty helpful read. It it gives you a lot of information and a lot of links. So I'll put that up on social media. It's very helpful. Thank you for uh, being out there. Uh, like you are, uh, Dr. Scope and, uh, and talking about this. And, uh, there's a lot here. There's a lot of uh, ongoing uh, battle. As you mentioned, this is in the district court, uh, Northern district of Texas. Um, so there's going to be appellate fights and battles and, and, uh, you know, this is an important issue, but it's happening so fast. Uh, and Planned Parenthood has been so clear. They're going to go digital to reach the mothers, and then they're going to uh, use the uh, chemical abortion. It's easier for them to do, I think, and more dangerous is what you and I agree. But thank you for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Ed, for bringing this to your viewers' attention. Thank you. We'll have you back on again, too. I'll put you on our list and be back in touch. Uh, very helpful. And uh, and more, maybe more importantly, I could tell my wife I didn't even wait three hours from having the conversation and I'm <laughs> figuring it out. So we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, I'll put up on uh, social media uh, all the links, uh, the Charlotte Lozier Institute website, as well as a link to the uh, uh, brief. And uh, there's a lot of there there. So we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, it happens every now and then that I get um, from three or four different angles people telling me that I need to interview somebody. And so uh, one of my old uh, friends on Facebook sent me a message and she said, you need to have Dr. Brian Ray on. And then one of my colleagues at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles said, have you seen that uh, this Dr. Ray is coming out to the pillar, which in St. Louis area, the pillar foundation is a great, great place. Uh, Dan Height, our old friend who's often on our prayer call on Fridays, often leads our prayer call is uh, one of the leaders there. And so, and I said, well, so it's kept coming. One other person sent me a text. And so we got him. We got him. Uh, Dr. Brian Ray is the president of the National Home Education Research Institute, and he will be visiting St. Louis, Missouri on uh, Thursday, February 23rd uh, and 2023, just in a few days at 7 p.m. Uh, the Pillar Foundation. I'll put it up on social media. If you do a search, you can find it. So welcome, uh, Dr. Ray, uh, to the program. How are you, sir? 
Thank you, Ed. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's great to have you. And I want to ask you this overarching question that COVID did a lot of things that were really terrible for the country. But one thing it did that was positive is it made people take another look at education, uh, you know, of their kids. And and one of but one of the things I worry about is that we saw uh, a kind of, hey, wait a second. What are they teaching in public schools? What what can I do about it? And some people went to homeschooling. Some people went to uh, to private schools. And you for, I don't know, almost almost 50 years. I mean, 45, whatever, how many years since your eight kids, you started uh, uh, educating them, have been involved not only in the homeschooling of your family, but as an expert witness in cases and as a Ph.D. in this, you kind of studied it. But practically, are we seeing a real shift I feel like a lot of people went back to public schools because it's easier. You're correct on two things. There's a real shift. And yes, some went back. (laughs) So (laughs) that's that's the point. So a couple of years ago, of course, it skyrocketed. Homeschooling grew by about 40% in one year with all the government lockdowns and people seeing what was going on in the schools, you know, all kinds of things. Then uh, two autumns ago, it went back down. But Ed, here's the good news. It went back down, but it was still higher than two years before that. So Hmm. the trend is up and it continues up. And I think we will continue to see it up for many reasons. And I'm an ecologist kind of guy by background. There are a lot of growth factors. And and one is that the reasons for home educating are very fundamental. We can get that if we have time. Two, research shows that the more people who are homeschooled, the more people homeschool. And those who were home educated as adults, now they are more likely to home educate their children. Hmm. Okay, so there are a lot of growth factors. Now, the limiting factors, like you mentioned, it is easier just to send your child away six hours per day to eight hours per day and have somebody else take care of them. And and I don't say that in a mean way, but I've actually had parents tell me it's a free tax-funded babysitter. Literally, parents have told me that. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people, I mean, I think a lot of people feel that. And, and, you know, we, we could have a different conversation another time about like, the late Phyllis Schlafly talking about, you know, how they, how uh, factors in our society and our law destroyed the family. And so you got, you know, two, two breadwinners, you know, a mom's got to work or, you know, a divorce and mom's got to work. And then nobody's blaming anybody for that. I mean, that's the reality. People do the best they can. By the way, let me say again, it's the 30th anniversary of the National Home Education Research Institute, uh, which our guest, uh, Dr. Brian Ray heads up at as the president there. Um, and this talk you're going to give out at the pillar on Thursday, homeschooling, just the facts um, is, are the facts. I, I guess I want to say two. I want to ask two things. I want you to tell me two things. I know the answers, but I mean, I, you're an expert on this one is homes. It is true that homeschooling students do better. And then the second thing is it's, it is true that they learn differently. Right. I mean, that's these are the two things that are do they they do better broadly. I think that's true. And and the fact is that it's just a very different learning experience. Yes. And yes. So, hey, this is this is what I've been doing lately and changing the whole question around. Uh, and I ask anybody, whether it's just any old parent, any old 20 uh, year old, uh, any old public school teacher, private school, just start asking questions like this. When do children learn better? when they're in a small group of maybe three other students or in 28? We all know the answer. When do children do better when they have more interaction with an adult or less? We all know the answer. When do children do better when they're bullied less or bullied more? We all know the answer. When do children do better if the curriculum is customized and individualized to their strengths and weaknesses 
or a one-shot deal for everybody in the classroom? We all know the answer. So you just start going down all of those things, Ed, and basically any professional educator, any regular old person who went to school, they know the answers to all of those. And what I'm getting at is you don't even have to say the H word, homeschooling. Right. If you look at those characteristics, what it happens in parent-led home-based education systemically are all of the things that are good for children. And so, of course, they do better academically. Uh, study after study, on average, they do better on standardized tests in math, reading, language, social studies, science. But why would they not do better? That's, you know, that's what people got to think about pedagogically and philosophically. So, yes, on average, they do better because it's a great environment. Now, we're not saying that all homeschooled children are geniuses. Right. We're just saying we're just saying on average, they do better. And on average, if any child had those conditions, he or she would do better than if in an institutional school with 27 other kids and one teacher who maybe wants to be there, maybe doesn't want to be there, and is trying to help 27 kids at a time. It's just it's just reality. Yeah. We uh, all, I've, been about, a, I've been a classroom teacher. Yeah. We're, again, we're talking with Dr. Brian Ray. He's the head of the uh, of the organization, the National Home Education Research Institute, NERI. If you go to nheri.org, you'll see all the information. There's a lot of research there. There's a lot more details. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Ray, um, the 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 system was shocked enough and there was enough of a realization in America that some places were truly failing. And there have been a number of states now and they sort of, and I, I bet they track to, you know, when the, when some of the states made it difficult for homeschooling parents, you know, years ago now, must have much of it's in the past, but a lot of it still exists in terms of the bureaucracy. But some of the states were, I call them red states. And they said, you know, let people homeschool. Um, and in some of those states now, there's dramatic uh, school choice where the dollars follow the student and you see people, parents, especially really motivated by that. You know, it's not just um, being a little stereotype. It's not just Asian Americans who want their kids to get, you know, that are helicopter parents. It's African Americans and Hispanic Americans and regular Americans and working Americans and whatever color. And, um, but yet I think there's been a little bit of a, a reticence in the homeschooling. I know there has to, to the, the fear about school choice how do you or dollars following the students? How do you yeah. feel about that? Hey, well, what's what's yeah. your what's your sense of whether they really are protecting or is it a little bit like charter schools? Charter schools started out as a great idea, but ultimately you realize charter schools were a way for the public schools to control slightly better schools. Well, I'm glad you asked, Ed. I think everybody needs to understand this. We all believe that any place a tax dollar goes, it must be controlled or regulated. And some people use a soft term with accountability to the government. So that's just a reality. None of us want the U.S. military to pay $79 for a hammer when they could have got it for $20. So here's the simple point. Wherever a tax dollar goes, there has to be control by the government. And I want everybody who believes in and likes private education, whether it's private institutional school or private home-based education, remember that if you take a tax dollar there will have to be government control. And one of the most beautiful things about homeschooling or home-based education is it, Ed, it is one of the only pure, wonderful, amazing freedom spaces that we have in America. And I think homeschoolers need to remember that. They need to protect it with everything they can. If you do not have the total freedom to raise your children how you believe fit, you really do not have a free nation. 
I mean, let's face it. Every school, whether it's a public school, a private school, or homeschooling, public schools do the teaching, training, and indoctrination of children. Isn't it wonderful that in America, in most of the states, we have a real freedom space called homeschooling? So be careful. Anywhere a tax dollar goes, there has to be government control. And in the homeschool world, homeschooling is considered parent-led, home-based, private education, not tax-funded and not government-controlled. And that's a wonderful thing in America. Do you, uh, again, we're, talk- we're talking with uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Brian Ray, who is the head of the uh, National uh, Home Education Research Institute. I, what I like there, and you'll see there on the on the front page, um, there is some, you know, the uh, the ho- homeschool legal defense uh, uh, guys are extraordinary. Um, they've done a great job over the years. Um, home- homeschool Legal Defense Association, let me say the name right. Um, but there's a lot of information on the website uh, that you can go to, to Dr. Ray's. Um, so, I, I, finish with this. You're going to be out at a pillar and I love pillar. And so I'm glad. And there'll be a lot of people there. There'll be a lot of people. Here's my, here's the trick box though. There'll be a lot of people there, Dr. Ray, that already believe what you believe. Right. And, and they'll, yes. they'll be there. They'll be there hearing, ah, I have ammo now homeschooling just the facts. I can go back yes. and tell my neighbors, which is good. Um, yeah. How do we, how do we uh, continue to, and I, I give myself as an example. I have four children and it was not in my wife and my mindset to be homeschooling. It just didn't. And we talk about that. We wish we had, and we do talk about our youngest. Maybe we still could, but it wasn't in our mindset. In some ways it was a, just an inertia of our own upbringing. We'd both been in public schools and things and turned out, you know, people, people go to public school and turn out fine and think they turn out fine at least and have their faith and, and are solid citizens. They, they think oh, yeah, it, can, it can work out, you know, but um, how do you, how do you see the, the, the growth of the, of the, of the movement? How does it, how will it play out? Yes. You know, speaking of Thursday night, I want everybody to come, even people who disagree with me, what they think I'm going to say. I want anybody, whether whether a new ager, pagan, (laughs) Muslim, uh, Jew, Christian, please show up. We can talk about this is one of the most important things in your child's life, his education, her education. we got to talk about it. And we've got to look at the presuppositions about what is done to children in government schools. Most people do not really understand it. But, Ed. I've been attending the annual meeting of the American Educational Research Association every year, starting 1988. I know exactly what the professors are doing, and I know what they're doing with the doctoral students, and I know what they're doing to your children in public schools. Please come and listen to me. But to answer your question, I think it's going to keep growing. Uh, I cannot say for how long. I'm not a big prognosticator, but homeschooling is going to continue growing little by little, little by little. What people have to understand is homeschooling now is bigger than the entire Roman Catholic school system in terms of numbers of students. That's mm. a big deal. Wow. It's almost as big as the charter school movement. I mean, we, we went from homeschooling was a norm for thousands of years. That's what everybody did, basically, yeah, yeah, right. to, to almost, almost extinct in the 70s. And this past year, it was 3.1 million children in the United States of America being home educated. It is it is almost a consideration for any mainstream person. It's grown tremendously in diversity, reasons for homeschooling. People people are finding out what this can do for their children. I mean, it doesn't matter what your worldview is, your religion, your politics. People are realizing that this is a really good way to help children. 
Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, first of all, that you took the time to come on with us. And then I also am especially grateful because I have much such an admirer of the Pillar Foundation. Uh, it's out on Clayton Road, everybody. Again, I'll put it up on social media. This Thursday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., uh, Dr. Brian Ray will be there. He's the head of the National Home Education Research Institute. If you go to NERI, N-H-E-R-I dot org, you'll see all the information there. Thank you for your time, sir. Good luck with everything. And I look forward to talking to you again. You're welcome. Goodbye. Thank you. And we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, look at social media and over on our website where I will post uh, all of the links to the website and also to the Pillar event. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 